Welcome to Above the Mess, the podcast where we bounce between our interests, dive down rabbit holes, navigate our brains, and come up in Wonderland. I'm Izzy Miller, and with me is Maddie Van Houten. Hey, y'all. We're back from our break. How are you? I am good. I'm so glad that we had a reset because I was feeling a little woo at the start of the new year, you know, just feeling like I didn't know what to do with my life. And reset really helped. I'm feeling a lot better now. It's been great. But with the break, we have some changes. Uh, Rose is focusing on some other projects and Izzy and I are moving forward without her. So we're going to see how this works for us. It's kind of exciting to be going out on our own, don't you think? Yeah. Definitely going to be fun. So Izzy, how's your new year going? It's going. It's going pretty well. I'm exhausted a lot, but you know, we're going to take that as a sign that I'm doing a lot of things and not a sign that I need to be going to bed earlier, which maybe we should come back to later. We should definitely come back to that later. My new year is good. I am also exhausted for different reasons because I am, as previously described, not a night owl. Um, I'm asleep by 830 on the couch. If I don't go upstairs by nine, I'm like a zombie in the morning. Like, except instead of saying brains, I'm saying coffee. <laughs> I honestly don't know how you get to bed so consistently on time every night. I can't do that. Um, I swear it's a genetic thing. Um, my mom was the same way. She would just like be sitting on the couch and by like nine o'clock out like a light. And I'm like, I don't know how to do that. And then I hit like some age where I was just like, now I'm tired. <laughs> I can fall asleep on the couch if I'm not careful. And I try not to do that because I wake up with like weird back issues. Anyway, my my new year is going good. I'm exhausted for not um, not not going to bed early reasons, but also doing lots of things reasons. That was a sentence. <laughs> That's good to hear, though. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to talk to you because you told me recently that you went completely analog with your like to-do lists and everything when you used to be like all in on was it things yeah yep, yep it was things and now I am entirely in a paper bullet journal except for calendar events calendars just make more sense digitally yeah I I also do that yeah I understand so but, what made you go analog oh a bunch of things it's primarily the mindfulness of having to rewrite things from mostly from month to month. I'm being pretty careful about not setting things up so that I have to rewrite things from day to day. Because if I have to write something out every day, that's just too much. Yeah. But the bullet journal process of migration is super helpful for keeping everything in your lists as something that you actually care about being on your lists. And that was something that was really missing from my digital systems. Even with review, it was so easy to just leave something in there and copy and paste it to somewhere else and end up with way more than I actually needed to be aware of. Definitely. That is kind of like the silver... Uh, I'm going to back up because I don't want to use the word silver bullet. <laughs> Definitely. The process of migration is the part of bullet journaling that I think is its superpower because it's really just a constant review where you can get rid of things that no longer matter. And yeah, so that's a really good reason to go to a bullet journal. So what all have you been doing with your bullet journal? I know that the basics are like an index and a future log and all that, but how's it working for you? Honestly, that's pretty much it. I do not have one of those Instagram bullet journals. Um, 
I've got like a couple collections that I'm using for tracking things like sleep, because that's a problem, and (laughs) my other habits and chores. But mostly it is a bog standard bullet journal setup. Honestly, if that works for you, that's what you need to do. I mean, um, no shade to the Instagram bullet journalers, but I cannot for the life of me draw flowers on every single page of my bullet journal without going a little bit like off a wall. You know, I feel like that's just too much for me. And I'm assuming it's too much for you if you're going bog standard. (laughs) Absolutely. Like, I appreciate them aesthetically. But my journal isn't a tool for artistic expression for me. And all the more power to people for whom that is the case. But that's not me. And that's fine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the other reason I'm really going to it comes back to the digital minimalism stuff that we've talked about. And having stuff written down on paper means that when I go to look at, say, the list of things I need to do for a project, it's not right next to Discord and right next to the entire internet. Yeah, that is a benefit. That is a benefit. Uh, The number of times, you know, you go to check an email and two hours later, you're like, what was I doing? Um, So yeah, I understand that aspect of going analog as well. Um, Has it been improving your relationship with your digital tools you you don't end up on discord as often you don't end up in rabbit holes on the internet i feel like that has been happening but i'm not sure i'm ready to give credit to it to writing in a journal (laughs) that's fair you won't be able to stay for a while i will say i do find it more pleasant to like sit down and review my tasks in a notebook than to pull up a computer screen again after staring at one all day for work yeah for sure I think getting a mindful break from screens in that way can be very beneficial for us because our entire lives are on the computers now, especially with like remote work, remote learning. Like when do we get away? When do we hold the physical thing and have it be part of our lives? It seems to be like less and less common these days. So that makes sense. Absolutely. And another thing I've been doing more this time, like I've used bullet journals before, but this time I'm really focusing more on taking down notes about how I'm feeling when I notice myself feeling certain ways. Oh, interesting. So I have that. Okay. So like today, for example, I have the various tasks that have come up that I've thought about that I've rapid logged, but I've also got a note about how the weather was so pleasant. So I ended up sitting in a park after a walk listening to a podcast and just was enjoying that sensation of being outside. And what I've found, especially during review, is that this gives me a really good sense of where I was at when I was making decisions about what I was or wasn't doing and how the things I was doing made me feel, which gives me a lot more power to decide, like, maybe I should stop doing this or to notice that, wow, every time I meditate in the morning, I feel better during the day and to be able to make those connections, which is something I don't think I could have done in the digital tool. Like in things, there's no real way to add a note that isn't a task or specifically associated with that task, just about like how I was feeling or like if I have, I don't know, a friend come over for dinner 
and I write that down in the journal. And then I can take just a couple notes after the dinner about what we talked about and like what was fun about it. Just right there along with all the other things I was feeling that day. That sounds amazing. That's not something I do in my own bullet journal. And I think I might have to start because right now I just use the rapid logging for I thought of an idea or um, someone asked me to do something and I need to remember it in two days. But one of the things that's so powerful about the bullet journal system is that you can just write how you're feeling. And it's not something I've taken advantage of, I think, because I used to be using a separate journal to record my thoughts. I was using the theme system journal and it never occurred to me to write down my thoughts during the day instead of at the end. I might have to try this, Izzy. This is a really good idea. I would like to know how the things I choose to do in a day affect my mood and affect what I'm thinking about. I think that's interesting. It's been good for me. It's only been a couple of months of doing it. So like, it's a little early to really say, but early signs are pretty promising. I'm going to trust your early signs because, I mean, in Ryder Carroll's book um, about bullet journaling, uh, I think it's called The Bullet Journal Method, and I believe we both read it. Yeah, I read that earlier this year. Oh, you did? Yeah, okay. I think I read it a little bit towards the end of last year. But he talks about doing the inline journaling as something that he did when he was first developing, developing the method, and it worked for him as well. So I don't think it's just you. It's just the way you've put it has finally clicked with me. (laughs) Which is awesome. Yeah. And then what I do most nights is I still have a separate like freeform journal diary that Mm -hmm. I write in each night that's more like stream of consciousness kind of journaling. But I'll look back at my bullet journal and look back at how I was feeling during the day and have that like bit of reflection on there. And that gives me almost a starting point or a prompt for journaling of like, why was I feeling that? Or how does knowing I felt that like make me feel now looking back on it? That's interesting, using your own thoughts as a prompt. Because I bet, like, without doing that, you know, people can get to the end of the day and think, I don't even know what I did today. I don't even know what I thought. Because... Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we were sort of, you know, behind the scenes, talking about the projects we'd been doing for what we might want to talk about. Today on the show, I was like, I'm just going to have to look backwards to the bullet journal and figure out what I wrote down that I did. (laughs) Otherwise, I would not have been able to come up with that list. Yeah. Um, and I am the stereotypical person who it takes me like 10 minutes to remember what I had for breakfast. Um, if I even remembered to have breakfast, I could not tell you. (laughs) Um, yeah. Yeah, So you've got a new notebook too, don't you? I do. I do. Okay. So I've been bullet journaling in my own way for, I want to say like how many months? I want to say it's been like six months now, maybe a little less, but, um, I was using, a William Hanna, um, r- not ring bound, disc bound journal system. And um, for those who are not in the planner community, disc bound journals are supposed to be very modular. They're kind of like ring bound, except um, you don't you don't pull the rings apart to change pages out. You just take the page off the rings. Whatever. So I had this really gorgeous planner. I thought it was going to be my forever planner, um, and I hit the page limit on this journal. (laughs) 
I put in a future log, I put in my monthly log, I had a week worth of pages in there, and I had a couple of reference pages, and I hit the limit on how many pieces of paper I could have in the journal. Oh, no. And I was like, this is not doable anymore. I was like, I, I don't know what to take out. And the whole point is to just carry one. So if I'm carrying the journal, which is supposed to be the one journal, and also another like disc-bound archive set, that's supposed to be for archiving paper papers I'm not using anymore to actually just carry the bulk of my journal. Like, what's the point there? <laughs> like, it doesn't make any sense. So I started searching for alternatives. I thought maybe I should stick with disc bound, but I didn't find anything that I liked. And then what was it? Two weeks ago, I reached out to you and another one of our um, friends and asked, has anyone seen a Filofax planner that doesn't look like a Filofax planner? And um, funny enough, that was not meant to be for my actual planner. It was going to be for a recipe book for my kitchen. So I could, you know, take out a recipe card and pop it back in. And I found one of those, but then I got, I got down the rabbit hole of Filofax planners and I was like, all of my stuff could fit in here. <laughs> so yeah, I bought a Filofax. It's really gorgeous. I love it. I've been... I've been migrating from the William Hanna to the Filofax. And like you were saying, that migration process, amazing. The number of things I was just like, nope, not going to do them. Not going to think about them. They're going away. Like I'm not bothering to put them in my new planner. Amazing. Um, and everything fits. I have about a hundred extra pages of for like ideas at the back. Like, and I still have room. It's exciting. There's room for everything. The The thing I want to be careful of, though, is that I don't want to collect cruft. So I'm going to have to go through and review all the time. Because the thing with like, nor I mean, I feel like most people, when they bullet journal, they do like a, a, like a, a bound journal, not one you can take pages out, right? That's what I do. Yeah. That forces the migration. That forces you to go back and say, this collection, yes, it's coming forward to me with me to the next book. With a ring-bound system where I can take pages out willy-nilly, that migration is never forced. So I'm going to have to be mindful of that and try to um, figure out a way to integrate that that migration process again because, yeah, I narrowed down a lot just by not wanting to write a bunch of tasks down. Um, which is great. So maybe I should be on um, your cadence where I should try every month to go through and and see what I can get rid of or see what I can migrate out of my journal um, or rather migrate into the next month, you know? Um, but yeah, it's exciting. I'm, I'm really happy with it. I'll put pictures in the show notes because it's gorgeous. And though I am not one of those people who can draw in my bullet journal, I have a little sticker printer machine that allows me to put cute little stickers places and, you know, I'm having fun. <laughs> so the thing that's always driven me a little nuts about binders and ring bound planners is writing on the backside of the page, on the, on the left page. Mm -hmm. Does that bother you? Or like, how do you deal with that? <laughs> Nine times out of 10, I am, when I'm writing, actively writing and not just looking at a list, I take the page out. Mm. This is really weird, but I like the feel of my pens better when the paper is on like a hard surface and not 
other paper. So I put it directly on my desk. But that said, having tried to quick jot down something on the backside of a piece of paper today, yes, drove me a little bit up a wall. I was like, this is silly. I am bending my hand in a weird way, but I don't think it's going to happen often enough to make me regret buying the journal because I, if I need to write something longhand, I'll just take it out. Gotcha. So. Yeah. I don't know. A lot of my left page writing is like when I'm setting up a monthly collection, I'm doing a two page spread and I want them to be sort of next to each other and aligned. Yeah. So like taking them out in that case just didn't really fit my workflow. That makes yeah. a lot of sense. Yeah. For me, I am most often when I'm doing like a monthly or a, a weekly spread, I actually start on the on the right hand side anyway, just because that way, if I ever need to just take it out, I don't have to remember that, you know, the first page actually has like something on the left side. That makes sense. Yeah. I, I don't know how else to explain that. I guess it's just ingrained in me from school because I was one of those kids who had like seven binders and everything was separated and you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, I've been having fun migrating my new notebook. It's still a pretty similar system, but I am I'm slowly figuring out what works for me now. And I've got to say it's helping because I was raring to go today. I like woke up and I was like, yes, I'm excited to work. And I don't know about anyone else, but that rarely happens for me. <laughs> I, I can empathize. <laughs> But yeah, what kind of things have you been actually using that journal to work on then? Um, well, the biggest thing is that I motivated myself to finish typing up my novel, Izzy. It's completely on the computer. That is so exciting. I'm so happy. It, I don't have to worry about what if a fire burns down the house and I lose all that writing. No, it is backed up. It's on Dropbox. It's on an extra drive. I have also... Because I'm a very, like, you know, I'm a very tactile person. I printed it out on double-sided printer paper so that I could edit it. So I have a copy. How many pages? It's 400 plus. I think when I checked, it was 421. And I believe that's not pieces of paper. I think that's front and back. So, like, so it would be, like, 220 pieces of paper. It took a long time to print. I, I kid you not. It took like three hours. And I was like, I did not know printers could be this slow. <laughs> I bet that feels super satisfying to hold. It is. I have it right here. I can show it to you. Um, and I'll post a picture for our friends. But it's thick and it's big. And hmm, I'm just so happy. <laughs> that was that a little great. happy noise. <laughs> and it's exciting. It has my like has my name on it. it feels so professional even though it's the first draft i have to go through and edit but i'm just over the moon um so So has it reached the point where you can call it a manuscript yes which is exciting (laughs) congratulations thank you um speaking of finishing things or at least getting one step closer to being finished you have been working on something for a long time that i know you just got to a point where it's usable Tell me. Yes, yes. I think I've mentioned it on the show before, but one of my projects has been a Moncala board that folds out of, I think it's zebra wood, but 
I got the wood so long ago now that I actually don't remember. So that's a little awkward, but we're just going to ignore that. <laughs> but all of the houses are gouged out and it folds in half and it is all to final dimension. And ironically, the only thing that is remaining to do is to sand it and to finish it. But I was able to bring it upstairs and Alex and I were able to play Oare on it, which I'm probably butchering the pronunciation of, but. That's okay. Tell me what Oare is as a game, because I only know the basic Mancala game. Like, actually, I don't even think I know that anymore. (laughs) Mancala is like a family of games played primarily in Africa and South America, but all over the world. And there's a lot of different games played on a lot of different sizes and shaped boards. And when Mancala came to the United States in at least the form that I think is sort of most commonly known, Mm -hmm. those rules are basically like a kid's game that isn't actually played by anyone. Oh, okay. And so So. Oare is the national game of several nations in Africa that I forget offhand, but it is much more strategic than Kala, which is the sort of typical American Mancala game. But what you're doing is you're trying to move the pieces that are on your side of the board by picking up all the ones in a house and dropping one seed in each house going around the board And then the goal is to have them end. So the last seed you drop in a seed with like two or in a house with two or three seeds in it after you drop it. And then you capture those. And those are the ones you score. So you don't drop any in your scoring drop in in your scoring area on the way around, which was how I played as a kid was the rules I learned as a kid was to as you go around, you dropped a a seed in your points. Yeah, it turns out doing that breaks the game. And causes all sorts of issues. And so it's actually a game about capturing seeds, which is really interesting. That does sound interesting because what I remember of uh, Kala, uh, the game that, you know, all the kids play, um, is that it kind of just depended on who started. Yeah. It was like, basically, you're just moving seeds one at a time around the board until whoever went first basically got them all because they went first, Um, (laughs) which is, you know not really fun once you get past a certain age. So that that is very interesting. I didn't know there were other games. Okay, I'm so excited. So you just need to sand and finish, which sounds very similar to the sewing community's problem of I just need to hem it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Are it- you going to finish it with a certain type of... I, I'm going to mess this up, Izzy. I'm going to say lacquer, and I think that's wrong. Lacquer would be a kind of finish, but not one I use. Okay. Um, I'm probably going to use Danish oil, which is a 50-50 mix of oil and varnish that it sort of penetrates the wood, but then is a a harder finish than just an oil on its own would be. Okay. So we would use like an an oil, a finishing oil on like cutting boards, for example, right? Yeah. Okay. Just making sure I'm getting this right, because I know nothing. So it's going to... (laughs) Yeah, it, it's going to feel more like wood than like, you know how something with like a polyurethane finish feels really like that glassy smooth, but you don't really mm-hmm. feel the wood. It's going to feel like wood, just wood that's been treated and is a little bit um, more resilient. 
That's- and hopefully we'll bring the colors out. That's awesome. I'm so excited to see it. There will be some pictures of the progress in the show notes. Yes, that's going to be so exciting. Um, no pressure, but I can't wait to see it fully finished with all the colors. Because I know that I know that finishing agents really like on special wood, like zebra wood or even like walnut, they really bring it out. Absolutely. It's be fun. And please pressure because I need to actually get it done. Okay. Do you want me to say that you should get it done by next recording? That would be awesome. Okay. I will periodically bug you offline. <laughs> Yay, accountability. Yay. Um, okay. So that's so exciting. Have you been doing anything else project-wise since yeah, well, we last talked? I've been reading a lot, which I'm going to go ahead and count as a project because I've been reading a lot, especially of political theory recently. Okay. Um, yeah. So like... I've just read Pedagogy of the Oppressed, which was excellent, by the way. And sort of as a prelude to reading as a project, I read How to Read a Book, which which has the most literal name of pretty much any book I've ever read. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And after you read this, you inspired me to start it as well. Um, probably for similar reasons, it basically teaches you how to, I guess, actively absorb the knowledge you're getting from books in different ways and things like that. Right. Like reading just to get the information out of something, like just to get the facts is super easy. Mm -hmm. But authors don't just write facts. They write facts which are strung together to make arguments to try to convince you of points. And something I don't know if you were taught in school, but I certainly was not and had to very much figure out on my own as I went, especially in college when I started writing more complex essays, was Mm -hmm. how to actually go back and figure out, okay, so what are the arguments that the author is using? How are they stringing their points together? And are they doing it correctly? Like, do they actually convince me that their argument is correct? And Uh, how to read a book really goes into like, okay, let's try to formalize that. And let's try to answer the question of what does it really mean to try to reach the same level of understanding as the author tried to get you to with what they wrote? Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I don't believe I was taught, at least in that much detail, how to do that with an author's argument. I remember learning the silly things like... um, logical fallacies, but they were never tied together with, okay, we're going to read this author's work and and see which fallacies they use to convince us of their argument or um, things like that. So I'm excited to read how to read a book, even though, as I told you earlier today, it is probably the driest book I've ever read. It put me to sleep last night. That doesn't happen very often. It um, gets better. Yeah, you said the <laughs> or- same thing earlier. <laughs> When it starts, it's trying to convince you, like, what is reading, but it has this, like, bootstrapping problem where it has to both, like, explain what they mean by reading, because it's not the sort of usual definition of just, like, picking up a book and going from start to end. Right. It's a much more nuanced definition, but giving a nuanced definition of a thing that is kind of dry, sort of is kind of dry. But once you get more into the techniques and the actual arguments the book is making, 
it becomes almost an interesting exercise because you can immediately apply them to the book itself as you're reading it. Yeah, and I'm excited to get to that part. It, I think a lot of nonfiction books like this struggle from the preface and the first chapter being the worst part of the book. And it's like, yes, in a fiction book, these are the parts that need to catch you. Yes. For nonfiction, it feels like almost you need to get your reader through these two chapters or two parts so that they actually enjoy your book. <laughs> like, at, at least for the me. opening of almost all nonfiction books is entirely about establishing the structure of the argument. And it's not about the interesting part, the argument. It's about the structure so that you can get in and understand what's being built towards. Yeah. And that's Which, a hard thing to make really interesting. Yeah, it's like, unless you're doing something really funky with your structure. Like, I can't even think of one. I'm sure it'll come to me later. But anyway, yeah, unless you're doing something really funky with your argument or the structure of your argument, that first chapter where you're setting up, like, I'm going to teach you this in this mm-hmm. order is just, that's, yeah. And but anyway. I did end up with about two pages of notes on it, but those notes definitely start after that introduction. <laughs> Good to know. I do want to take notes on this one because, yeah, for, for me, I want to read it to to use the methods, especially for me. It's like I I can absorb the the facts like you were saying, but I can't make the logical arguments myself most of the time when I come out mm-hmm. of reading a, a nonfiction book. And that's something I want to get better at because, I mean, otherwise I'm wasting my time reading nonfiction, basically, like because I'll just have to go back and spout someone else's arguments instead of making my own. But yeah, so you read How to Read a Book. I'm almost reading it. Um, I'm not going to say I've started it because I'm pretty sure I'll have to go back and start over. (laughs) Um, But and you read Pedagogy. Oh, my goodness. I can't say that. Pedagogy. Izzy, I can't say that word. (laughs) Pedagogy. Pedagogy of the Oppressed. Hello for today. Thank you. You're reading that book. And then um, you said there were you were reading a bunch. So was it just those two or are there some other ones you want to like talk about? Oh, God, I've read so much. I've been reading a bunch of fiction, which probably isn't like project reading because that's just stuff I've enjoyed. I will, however, highlight Light from Uncommon Stars. Rika Aoki was excellent and I would highly recommend that. It's got some Douglas Adams to it. It's got some like super serious gender stuff to it. Really, really good. That's amazing. I love Douglas Adams' writing. And I'm also looking to diversify my fiction shelves because I don't know if you've noticed, but most of the books that are in most people's homes are written by the same person. Um, So the author's name, Rika Aoki, has me crossing my fingers that this will help me do this as well as be enjoyable. Um, So I'm going to read this. This This is a good suggestion. Yeah, and it's it's a book that really did a great job of illustrating the Asian American perspective of like what it means to live in the United States as someone who is Asian American. I really enjoyed it. I am super excited. I'm going to get this um, tonight, and it'll be my next fiction read because um, I just I just finished The Martian for a book club. I've read that book like 17 times, but. There's the I'm author tempted, that everyone has. I'm, I'm tempted to try the audiobook. Oh, the I haven't audiobook. Had the audiobook of it, and I've heard that's good. It is um, so for good. For that same book club. Yes, for the same book club. It is so good, but you need to get the book by, or the reading by R.C. Bray. Um, Will Wheaton voices the newer version, and 
almost everyone agrees that the RC Bray version is better. Okay. I'm on that side of the argument as well. I kid you not. I like get weepy at certain points during that book. And that book is like really, really scientific science fiction. Like you would not expect you're getting weepy during hard science fiction, but the way the audiobook narrator, the way R.C. Bray talks and and voices the emotions in the story. Oh, my goodness. It actually gets me emotional. And that never happens when I'm reading, well, listening to books. Um, usually because it's just dry. It's just listening to someone read to you. But he really yeah, acts out the people. I've never actually listened to an audiobook before. Like, I don't have anything against them. I've just always grabbed paper books or ebooks, But... My audio has always been filled with podcasts, mostly. And I've got this problem with audio where even if I want to be, like, focusing on what I'm listening to, I will, unless I'm, like, specifically going for a walk or driving, I will immediately start doing something else. (laughs) And then I'll realize I have no idea what's being spoken about. And I'll have to rewind. I'll be like, okay, but where was it? But then the the real double whammy is I go back. My brain's like, oh, you've heard this bit before. I'm not going to pay attention. Oh, I do that all the time. Oh, it's infuriating. You're just like, brain, I know I heard that one sentence, but the three sentences afterward, you zoned out. <laughs> at least at least The Martian, I've read it before, so I can probably survive that. Yes. And I will say, like, when... When I'm listening to an audiobook, I'm usually doing it when I'm doing like chores or driving or, you know, things that I don't need the listening part of my brain for. I just, you know, you might need that for driving, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, but today I was getting close to the end. So what I did was I pulled up um, that game Townscaper and I just yes. listened while I while I tapped and made towns. So... If I have enough of a distraction for my fingers, I can still focus on words. And I think that's a that's that, a trick. <laughs> is it a game or a fidget toy? I don't know, but it seems really perfect. Yes. As super perfect. Audio companion. It is a great one. There's another one that I really like for audio companion. It's called um I Love Hugh. H-U-E, like hues of the rainbow and you're trying to order the colors that are all mixed up and jumbled very zen i'll, I'll put a link and i'll send you a link too it's very fun I, <laughs> yes thank you this you're is welcome. dangerous it is oh yeah it's dangerous maybe don't put it on your phone maybe on an ipad you don't use for work or something yeah no <laughs> i actually at this point have no games on my phone. In, in fact, I I have as little on my phone as I think is really reasonable. Mm-hmm. Like, the only communication apps I have on my phone are messages and signal at this point. Oh, wow. That's I've really got, stripped like, down. God, let me check. How many apps do I even have on my phone? It's not very many. I don't even know how to check that. It's like settings general about on the iPhone. I have 44 apps on my phone. All right. You have 44 apps. I got to see how many I have. Didn't our friend Majd at one point have like over a thousand? 
general about. That seems plausible. That does seem plausible, doesn't it? Oh my gosh. The first thousand of them were probably task managers. Okay, yes, what's they your were. number? 281. Wow. Um, I don't even know what all of those are. Like, I probably use a grand total of five or six. So I should probably, maybe I should migrate my iPhone. That could be a fun task. Um, yeah. Not no, right now. With, <laughs> especially with something like Discord. Like, mm-hmm. I just wanted to mindfully want to go on Discord. And so I was like, I'm just going to make it be something I have to go to a device that has it. That makes sense. It. Yeah. And, and with so many apps, it's just that same kind of argument where it's like, I do not need instant access to this all the time. I can put what is effectively a very small barrier mm-hmm. in that just makes me have to be intentional about doing it. Definitely. I mean, that's that sort of mindfulness is like, especially important for people who have ADHD brains yep. because the like the tiniest bit of resistance will keep us from becoming distracted and going down rabbit holes. Whereas the tiniest nudge will send us down those rabbit holes. <laughs> yeah. I, I fell one out. I fell down one of those recently with card games and then playing cards, which Ooh, I love playing which is cards. how I ended up with this gumstick sized pack of playing cards that is astronaut themed how do you even fan we're gonna have to show uh, a picture but how do you even fan them they're so skinny i was not really expecting much from them but like it actually works super well oh i i almost like that better i feel like you could have bigger hands for games like um bs or or War or whatever, the kids' games that I play. Um, war is my favorite. It's entirely luck-based, and I seem to have good luck when I play war. There you go. <laughs> Who needs strategy when the gods favor you? Exactly, exactly. Um, except they only favor me for card games, so. <laughs> Alex and I just found a new two-player trick-taking card game called Duck Soup. Oh my goodness. That's kind of fun. It, it is, because, like, if... If you play a card and someone else plays the pair, they say quack. And then if you have the other one, you say quack, quack. And then the fourth one, it's duck soup. And they take the points. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it was just a funny. cute, fun little game. Also, yeah, I love that. Alex, like, got double the points I did. So I, like, clearly need to learn how to play that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm trying to remember the name of my favorite as a kid. I think it was called Spit. Have you ever played that game? I have played Spit. I don't remember how to play it. It's been years same and i always want to find someone who does know how to play it to like play again because i remember doing that for hours it was so fun also fun is um the game bs i'm i'm not going to say it because then rob will have to uh he'll have to edit that out and he'll have to do a little bleep but the game is bull crap and we used to play it as kids just so we could say the bad version of the word crap <laughs> To be completely honest, I'm not sure why crap is more acceptable than the other word that we have apparently decided we're not saying. You know what? I'm not sure either, but I think that uh, Apple Podcasts will mark us as explicit if I say the other word without being Fascinating. It. Yes. Um, words are weird, especially curse words. Could not tell you why some of them are, and some of them aren't. <laughs> God, words really are weird. 
Yes, words are the weirdest. Um, oh, that reminds me, one of my rabbit holes. The word is lens, right? L-E-N-S. Yeah. And one of our friends asked like a general group of us, how many of us want to spell it L-E-N-S-E with a silent E on the end? And I am one of those people. Every like time camera lens? Yes. Like with an E at the end. With an E at the end. For some reason, my brain wants to spell it with an E at the end. And we were like, why do our brains do this? Because our friend Ankanu was saying that he is one of those people. I'm one of those people. There was um, our friend Kim was another example. And we were like, why, why? So we tried to figure out the like etymology of it. And so I went down a rabbit hole about how we got the word lens. The answer is we got it from Latin directly and it is a direct transliteration of the word for a lentil so a single lentil is a lens that makes sense because the lentil has that shape yeah it has the shape anyway so we got it all the way from latin without any other language interference but if it had come through france it probably would have had an e on the end to make the s audible if it had come through german same deal, like Germany doesn't like ending singular words in S's. Um, if we had got it through any other language, basically, we probably would have spelled it with an E. Interesting. And just, yeah. And actually, I was looking, Dutch and German both have Lens as a last name. And they spell it differently. Dutch spells it with an E. I don't remember. Anyway, so like no one can agree on how to spell these words in any of the languages. But the fact that we got it through Latin means <laughs> that we don't spell it with an E and it confuses some brains. Anyway, that was the entire rabbit hole. We just dove in it. Because <laughs> I wonder, like, I have one of those like thought processes around words where I want to spell things like the simplest possible way to represent the phonetics or whatever gets close to the phonetics. So like through, I earnestly believe should be spelled T-H-R-U. Yeah, that's fair. Okay. And like, so I wonder like, is that a difference in the way you almost process words then with the etymological context to the spelling? Whereas I'm really in like, a phonetic context? I have no idea. I am not sure. I think the way I process words changed a lot when I started listening to the History of English podcast. Like, that podcast is amazing. It starts from all the way back in, like, ancient prehistory, talking about the words we get from the Proto-Indo-Europeans, like they are the ancestors of everyone in Europe and a lot of people on the Indian subcontinent and also some people in China. So like spread everywhere and we can trace words all the way back to them that we use every single day. Like most of our numbers come from them. The word um, Zeus comes from their name for their sky god, huh? which is like, <laughs> it's just like, it's wild how much we get from them and so i started listening to that podcast a couple of years ago and ever since then i have thought about i wonder where we get this word 
And I don't know if I thought that way before. Because I was never into the like spelling contests where I'm like, you know, uh, can you tell me the origin? And then French and they tell us how to spell it. You know, whatever. Never been like that. That said, I do frequently spell though T-H-O. So I don't know. Maybe I do both. (laughs) That's probably me too, honestly. Like language is one of those things where if there's two ways to do something, you probably do both. Honestly, yeah. I'm just trying to think like. I know there are also words that I do the I do the childish thing where I'm like, okay, I've got one. You would think at the age of 27, I know how to spell the word friend. And yet, every time I go to spell it out, I say in my head, fry end. Every single time. Because that's how I learned how to spell it. <laughs> For me, it's um, B-E-A beautiful. Oh my god, yeah. I was gonna say, <laughs> wasn't that, wasn't that um, part of a movie? Is that where you got it? Yes, I think so. I don't know um, which one. Was it Bruce Almighty? It might have been. I feel like it had Jim Carrey in it. I feel like he was the one who said B-E-A-U-Tiful. I can picture that. Now we're going to have to figure out what movie it was. <laughs> there will be follow-up next week, week after next, since I'm great at time. We have covered how neither of us know what time is, so it's okay. <laughs> Tomorrow um, is always the next day where I'm going to actively do the thing. Next week is always like sometime in the near future for a periodic thing, regardless of what it actually is, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, I will be put together tomorrow. I will be an adult tomorrow. Usually. But that's just procrastinating. I do that too. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of procrastinating, at the beginning of the show, we were talking a little bit about my sleep. Audience, I need your help. How in the world do I get to bed on time? How in the world do I interrupt my ADHD rabbit hole brain when, I don't know, the new Pokemon game is really shiny and then suddenly it's two in the morning to remember to put the game down, to put the computer down, to put the book down. I I have finished so many books at two or three in the morning this year. (laughs) How do I do that? How do I remember to go to bed? (laughs) Yeah, uh, we need feedback because... Izzy asked me if I had any advice, and my advice was, I have no idea how I build a routine. Um, Usually they happen on accident. So (laughs) I do not know. The the only thing I can think of is that I used to have an alarm. Actually, I still do. I have an alarm go off at 930 on my Apple Watch. That's like, you should really put your phone down. Oh, like 930 p.m. Yes, not in the morning. 930 p.m. That's clever. Yes, I'm not going to suggest you do it at 9.30 p.m. because I am not a night owl. Like, I am sleepy at 9.30. I'm, like, just ignoring it because I'm on my phone and I'm scrolling through reels on Instagram or something. So, like, maybe set an alarm an hour or so before. Well, no, maybe an hour is too long. Like, half an hour before you want to go to bed every night, maybe. But anyway, that's the only advice I have. So, listeners, please... We need help. How do we make routines? <laughs> Especially this one. Izzy definitely needs help with this because 2 a.m. is wild when you get up for a job at yeah, what, like, like 9 a.m.? Like, that's not enough sleep. If I could just free sleep, I'd be fine. Yeah. And my circadian rhythm works out that way. It works great. But gainful employment is its own whole thing. Yeah. Um, uh, unless you get a employer an employer that allows you to start work at like noon and work until I can't even do math 9 p.m 
I mean, I'm cheating because like my job is two time zones west. So if I get in at 11, that's 9 a.m. for them. That's already pretty good. But Isn't it? It's still hard for me to wake up for morning meetings. It's it's becoming a problem. Yeah. It's been okay. a problem. <laughs> so we do need help. Okay. We need help. Send us an email. Talk to us on Instagram. We need to know how do you set up like a wind down routine almost or like how do you get that started? Do you have you have a wind down routine or yes. no? Yes. It's just like getting started on the routine. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Like I just don't think I should start winding down or I should turn the computer off or I should interrupt this activity. It's it's something I'm getting much better at during the day of like that mindfulness practice of catching yourself when you're distracted. But at night, I'm tired. The ADHD meds have worn off. Yep. It's all the disadvantages. Exactly. Okay. So listeners, we need your help. You can find us at AboveTheMess.com, at AboveTheMessPod on Instagram and on Twitter. You can email us at hello at AboveTheMess.com. Send us feedback. How do we get Izzy to sleep at not 2 a.m.? I don't know what time you want to go to bed, so I'm saying not 2 (laughs) a.m. We'll start with earlier. Earlier. Earlier is a good one. Okay. Send us some feedback, and um, hopefully we will have a lot of follow-up to go through as you give us suggestions. We'll talk to you all next week. Bye-bye. In two weeks. Oh my God, two weeks. Time.